0: Hello Northwest, hope you're doing well, and I hope you had a great 4th of July, and I hope you've had a great week. Um, I want to ask you a question as we get started in a brand new message series. When is the last but-God moment you've had in your life? Now before you answer that, let me make sure I define that clearly. A but-God moment is when all things look bad, impossible, and are dire, and then God steps in. I want to let you know something. The Bible is full of those. The Bible is full of situations that look dire, that look bad, that look impossible, and then God steps in. And I want to let you know something. I experienced a but God moment um, this, this week. He, here's what took place. My my nephew, 18-year-old, healthy as can be, um, was tested positive for COVID, and he got very sick. Actually, very scary saturday july 4th he was admitted into the hospital and he got up to five liters of oxygen needing that to help him breathe Um, was on his stomach for a very long time to be able to help him to breathe and i can just tell you this right now my wife myself my kids my friends uh, some other friends um, partnered with kevin and kim his mom and dad and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we asked God to step in because why? It looked dire. It looked scary. And I want to tell you this right now, that God did step in. He stepped in and he healed my, my nephew. He healed my nephew, Ben. And, and, and as a matter of fact, he is home at the, I am recording on Wednesday right now. And when you listen to it, you will know Ben Qualls, my nephew, is at home. And I praise God for that. And what this did for me is the Lord placed on my heart a desire to preach a series of messages titled, But God, because I want you to be encouraged to know that the same God that was then in the scriptures is the same God that we serve today. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The same God, it means that he is immutable. It means he does not change. And so the same God that parted the Red Sea is the same God that healed my my nephew, Ben. And and, and what I want us to see, Northwest, is I want us to see there's a lot of things that are going on, all kinds of things in your life and even in our world. And my hope and my prayer is that God would allow us to dive deep in the Scriptures over the next four weeks, to take a look at but-God moments in the Scripture, to be reminded of what He did and be reminded of what he can do and will do. I don't know if there is a greater need for that right now in your life in my life to simply be reminded and allow that to be a catalyst for the hope and the faith that we can have and what he will do going forward. I'm I'm encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged by what I got to see God do in uh, Ben's life. Um, I'm encouraged when I take a look at the text And I take a look at all of the situations in the text and you see how God moved and God moved in in incredible ways. We serve a God that does not change. And in my mind, I can hear you right now screaming and saying and fist pumping, amen, right? That's what you're doing. We serve a God who does not change. That is an attribute of him, of himself. And so we're going to take a look at some scriptures. And again, I say I want you to be captured. I want you to be encouraged. I want there to be rest in your heart, to know that what you see happening in the world, that we we know that God can, and we pray that He will intervene and step in when things look so dire. I think when I think when I think of the word or the phrase "but God," that conjunction combined with God, I I often think of Ephesians chapter two and. I know we've taught that before and we've addressed that before, but I just want us to to kick off this message series with, to me, perhaps one of the greatest but God moments in all of Scripture. Yes, we have different situations in the Bible where God showed up in um, 2 Kings 18, 2 Kings 18, and Elijah, Mount Carmel, and... Um, Exodus chapter 13 and the parting of the Red Sea, and we see all of these things that took place where God stepped in. And, and one of the greatest places that I believe that we can kick off this message here with is a reminder of where he stepped in when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and there was nothing that we can do that, but God steps in to redeem that and to fix that. And so grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. We're going to jump in there, read a couple of verses, talk about it, and uh, and, and really um, uh, get deep into this uh, this morning. So go ahead, uh, starting at verse 1 in chapter 2, and here it comes. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out... The desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You're looking at me, you're going, Wow, that's bad news. Yeah, it's really, it is bad news. And so here's what we have to take a look at. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus, and he's trying to get them to realize all that they have, and then he's trying to help them to realize what they can do about it. So, chapters one, two, and three, here's what you have. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is what you do with it, okay? Uh, Chapter 6 of Ephesians, the full armor of God, put that on, their spiritual warfare. Chapter 1, he lavished his love on us. Chapter 2, you were dead, and now he made you alive. And so you can see, this is what you have, now here's what you do with it. And that's the book of Ephesians. And so Paul is writing that to the, um, uh, the, the believers in Ephesus. And so, what does he say? What do we learn first off? First off, what we see in chapters in chapter um, uh, two, verses one, two, and three, we see that he's using the past tense. It's like those who have accepted Christ. It's were. So they were passive. This is this is what he's in essence saying. This is who you were. This is who you're not right now. But this is who you were. And and, and the reason that he's doing that is he's trying to get them to understand, listen, I want you to recognize how bad it was what you were like so that you will appreciate what you are like and what you do have. I want you to appreciate your new life when you see how bad your old life was, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking. And so what he declares for us right now is that, hey, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Listen, it doesn't say that we were broken. Broken things can be fixed. But if you're dead, you must be resuscitated, being brought back to life. It is an impossible situation. When he uses that word dead, he's saying he is telling them this is an impossible situation right now. Paul is trying to get them to realize not broken, but dead. Another thing he wants us to realize is that we're not sinners when we commit a sin. We are sinners when we are, we are born. We are born sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that's, in essence, what he's saying, and that's a problem. But here is the worst part of the problem. So the problem is, is that we are sinners. But it gets worse in that we can't do anything about it. We cannot fix the problem that we have. And as a result of that problem what we would be like or what we are like if we have not been redeemed or have not been saved, then what we are like is that we often t- try to steal credit away from God that is reserved for God. We, we flaunt our rebellion before God. He says, you're dead. You followed after the prince of the power of the earth, Satan. You are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is your nature. You are a sinner. And so what he says is we steal and we try to get all the credit for the good. We have a tendency, really, if we're there, to flaunt our rebellion, as I said. And so what happens is sometimes people will blame God for every bad thing that takes place. Um, They'll blame God for everything that's bad, and they'll take credit for everything that's good. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, and that's really, in essence, what he's saying right now. He said anytime that something um, something bad happens, we'll say, well, if God existed, this wouldn't happen. But anytime something good happens, then what what is a tendency if we're not being if we're not redeemed, we're not walking with Christ, then what we have is when something good happens, we take the credit. When something bad happens, we blame God. God, if you existed, you would have done this. Something good happens, well, look at me, I'm awesome. Okay? In in essence, what it is, is we're just trying to take his place, and you've heard me say that so many times. The Bible says that we are children of wrath. See, the wrath of God is just as real as the love of God, and God is glorious in both of those things. You see, heaven is a real place, and so is hell. Heaven is a real place to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord the best thing about heaven is not it, it, the best thing about heaven is to be in the presence of god himself the worst thing about hell is to not be in the presence of god and not being in the presence of god for eternity is a terrible terrible thing and if you're stuck if we're stuck in 1 2 and 3 that is where we go we get to experience the wrath of god and we get to experience hell And that is not what God would want for us. The wrath of God and hell are real places, but God has stepped in. We'll see that in just a minute. And so everybody in this, everybody that is listening and and everybody that's ever been born has been born a sinner and in need of a Savior, plain and simple. If we do not repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus, what happens is we, we go to a place called hell. That's what happens. That is the gospel. And you're like, wait a minute, that's the gospel? That's bad news. Yes, we're going to get to the good news. That's bad news. There We are sinners, and there's nothing we can do about it. And here's verse 4. And that's why this is the verse or the chapter I chose to kick off this message series with. Because I just don't know of a better two words in the Bible in regarding this topic right here. And it says, verse two, but God, no greater statement in all of the world. No greater statement in all the world. We just learned that we're dead and we're not broken. And we're just seeing that we have the author for the solution, and that is God. And who is he? Let's look at some of the characteristics or his attributes. It says, but God, being rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting, it, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. We do deserve the wrath of God. But mercy is saying, I'm not going to give that to you, even though you deserve that. B- because of the great love with which he loved us, this love is unconditional. It means there's nothing that we can do um, to get it. Then in verse 5, oh, this is what's beautiful about this. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So here it is, here it is. We are at our complete worst, and Christ gave us our best. Our, his best. We're at our worst, he gave us our best. Look at Romans 5.8 but while we were still sinners, there's a but God moment in there, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Christ died for us. Look at the rest of verse 5 says, made us alive together with Christ. And then all of a sudden, Paul just jumps in, by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I loved the this verse right here. I love this section right here. In my study, I find that that, that um, one writer said, Paul gets so overwhelmed. He starts talking about, hey, but God being rich in mercy, great in love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Then all of a sudden he goes, by grace you've been saved. Why does he get so overwhelmed? Because Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as that's what he says in the book of Philippians. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he knew the law up, up one side and down the other, 613 laws. In order to be a faithful Jew, you had, to, you had to be allegiant to all of them. And Paul was allegiant to them and he was an enforcer of them. And then all of a sudden, God saves him on the road to Damascus, opens his eyes, he sees grace for the very first time. Paul starts talking about God, but God, who is rich in mercy, and he comes down, he does this, and all of a sudden, Paul just jumps out and says, by grace you have been saved. Because why? It has simply overwhelmed him to know that he lived a life of works, and now he gets to live a life of grace. And that's a but God moment in his life. And I pray that it be a but God moment in our life to remind us of all that he did and all that he will do. And so then Paul comes back to fleshing this out a little bit when he gets to verse 7. He gets back on track. Of course, he got overwhelmed, and now he's going to get back on track and sort of unpack it a little bit. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here is the deal. We get to see for our entire lives, whether it be... Um, 48 years or 100 years. We get to see our entire life, all of the things that God can do and will do. And then for eternity, we get to see it even more. He said, it doesn't just start when we are with Christ, when he's done with us here. We get to see it right now, and even we get to see it for all of eternity. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Man, I can't wait for that. Verse 8. And this is the verse you probably memorized as you grew up in the church. For by what grace have you been saved through faith? And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. At least any man should boast. I think it just summarizes the whole gospel right there. It's, it's the whole thing right there. I have often said and I've heard other people say that verses eight and nine basically can be summarized in the greatest exchange that's ever been known. I remember trading baseball cards. My kids trade football cards. I can hear them sometimes trading going, hey dad, I got um, I got A.J. Green for Tom Brady or I got Cam Newton for Tom Brady. Oh boy, that's, that's an interesting trade. Who got the better end of that deal? Sometimes you walk away, and you can sit there and say, oh, hey, you have a rookie, Cam Newton, and you've got a rookie, Tom Brady. Then all of a sudden, someone's going to say, "Ha, the guy who got Tom Brady, yeah, he, he got the better end of that deal. He got the better end of that deal. But you, you, Yes, I mean, you see what I'm trying, trying to go with right now. You're taking a look at the God of creation, the perfect sinless Christ who was mocked, scourged, beaten in our place, and says, I am taking your sin on my shoulders, and I'm defeating it right now, and I'm doing that for you, and I'm doing that because I love you. That right there is the greatest exchange in all of the world. And I don't want you, Northwest, or, or myself, I simply don't want us to get over that ever in our lifetime. I don't want us to ever get over it. Another but God verse is Romans 6:23. for the wages of sin is death. Oh, that's horrible. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. That's awesome, isn't it? Take a look at this quote. I'm gonna, or let me read you this quote. I think the answer is that Paul recognizes that here is a perfect opportunity to emphasize the freeness of grace. As he describes our dead condition before conversion, he realizes that dead people can't meet conditions. If they are able, if they are to live, there must be a totally unconditional and utterly free act of God to save them. This freedom is at the very heart of grace. And I would say, that is a but God moment. That is a but God moment. So we boast in not what we have done, but what he has done. And then verse 10 says, hey, here's what I want you to do. We learned this in, uh, two weeks ago in uh, Psalm uh, 51 when David repents of his sins and then he talks about how he's going to serve the Lord. He looks in verse 10 It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he basically says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk in them, and I want you to celebrate them. I want you to do that. And so Northwest, here's, here's what we can learn. Here's two things that I just want to um, focus on as we close down our time together. I... I believe that when we take a look at But God moments to kick off our series, this text and this belief is so utterly important. And so here's here's one of my points for you here. The gospel is under attack, but God has defined it clearly in the Bible. Listen, anytime we put a word in, in front of the word gospel if we put an adjective in front of gospel it ceases being the gospel let me give you an example prosperity gospel it ceases being the gospel social gospel it ceases being the gospel when we take a look at the immutability of God that God does not change he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow that what he did in the Bible, and what he does in our lives is he steps into dire situations all the time. And so what I'm doing is I I am asking and I am praying that God in his sovereignty would remind us of those things. But one of the things I want to make sure that we do is that we understand that the gospel is under attack, but God has defined it clearly. So therefore, let us live that gospel out. Let us proclaim that gospel. Let that gospel infiltrate our families, our decisions, the way we talk, the way that we teach, the way that we listen. Let's not redefine it. But God has defined it clearly. And then number three, the the, the last thing I want you to see is allow this But God series fill you with reminders of what God has done and faith for what God will do. I'll say it to you again, allow this But God series fill you with reminders of what God has done, and faith for what God will do. I recognize right now, as I was praying um, two weeks ago, just overwhelmed that um, we just need to be encouraged. We have questions. When are we going to meet together? When is school going to happen? And and these things aren't going on and on and on and on and on. And and there's so many questions and not a lot of answers. And I just, I I want the next couple of weeks for our minds and our hearts to be captivated by what God did and how he stepped in and the faith that we have that he will do the same in the future. Um, I'm praying for you. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you soon, uh, but uh, let's let's live for remembering the but God moments and looking forward to the future but God moments, and let's do that together. Love you guys.